Hey, Metastential in a bite-sized travel-to-go package. Tom Bennett, Derek Phillips, talking Metastential, the overlap of digital and culture. Let's do it as a podcast. Okay. So hey, everybody. Special episode for you. We have a special guest. We're here with Brian Rhodes, someone I worked with for a long, long time. Brian, help us out. Who are you? I'm Brian Rhodes. I am a, uh, a content strategist, digital strategist. Um, I'm, I'm currently uh, running something called Atomic Creative Labs. It's based here in Portland. Uh, but longtime uh, kind of digital, all things digital guy. Um, where I ran global social marketing at Intel. I, I, uh, I ran the uh, partnership with Vice Media called The Creators Project, and I've, I've been around the block. So you're a content man with some success under his belt. Yes, I would like to think so. <laughs> Got a, a few awards. A lot of people in agencies end up kind of being content people with just a lot of ideas under their yeah, belt. Yeah. Right? But you've actually you've pulled it off. I have. I have, yeah, and it hasn't been easy. It hasn't been easy. I think we started... Um, we started with kind of a longer term vision of, of building audiences mm-hmm. and that was uh, key. And I, and I think, you know, management often doesn't really see that longer term or, or, or they don't always have the, the appetite or stomach for some of these longer term projects. But now with, with storytelling and with marketing technology, um, once you establish that audience, um, you know, you can really move them into more strategic areas for the business and the brand. So and that's what we found. Right. And so I'm really curious because you've, you and I met several years ago and mm-hmm. one of the first things I was kind of impressed with this, this was maybe when social was a kind of exploding on the corporate scene for the first yeah. time, yeah. right? It was dawning on corporate that social was a thing. Yeah. And I remember that Intel had published, publicly published right. the, the social media guidelines. Yeah. Right, and I always thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, I'm kind of curious about your experience working at a giant like Intel, sure. bringing in a concept like social and a concept like content. How does that work? Well, that that was back when there was a lot of the best word might be fear and trepidation around this thing, this movement called social media, and um, a lot of businesses and a lot of brands and management were were scared of it because it meant. Um, you know, it, it truly meant that the the brand wasn't and the business wasn't controlling the message wholeheartedly like like they had been. Where mm-hmm. it wasn't this broadcast model of, you know, I will communicate to you and I will communicate on this on this message. We saw it as an opportunity, um, and I and I think you know there's there's lots of reasons for that, but we really saw it as an opportunity of of you know, increasing the number of communicators that you can have and increasing the, the conversation that was happening out there. And, you know, we put forward these guidelines and I worked closely with PR and legal um, and HR um, to kind of foment these guidelines. Mm-hmm. And it went all the way up to the board of the directors of, of Intel and they were thrilled they, they didn't realize that we had been working on this for, you know, months or a year already by the time we got to the board. But they were thrilled because they were worried about social because the press was not so kind to it back then. Um, but we laid the foundation and the framework for us to really go forth, not only as employees, but then also to use it as um, 
part of our marketing mix and part of our communications platform. Right. And we had contingency plans, we had guidelines, we had, um, you know, all of the, the processes worked out as far as we knew, right? It was a, it was a pretty good first effort, but it was, uh, again, contingency plans that were, you know, if something were to happen, um, uh, and, and again, all the, all the actions that we would take should, should something happen. And what that, what that allowed for was this foundation for it to really grow. Mm-hmm. And, and it felt, uh, employees felt empowered. They felt, um, that there was, uh, again, as long as they filled, they followed the guidelines and it was, it was pretty much common sense. Sure. Um, at the time and, and, you know, looking back, it may seem obvious, but, um, Having that down uh, protected both the brand and the employee to go out and to, to really foster these communities on their own. Right. So instead of putting up fences, you put up put out a light, you know, a guideline yeah. to follow instead yeah, of a exactly. fence, right? And I believe exactly. they're still available publicly. That was the cool thing. Was yeah, they are. They've, they've changed over the years. Sure. Um, they've actually been simplified quite a bit. We, we Not only did we have the guidelines, but then we formed... Um, a training around those guidelines. So we, we came up with um, the concept of a social media practitioner, an mm-hmm. SMP. And as long as you took this training uh, and you followed the guidelines, you would be sanctioned on behalf of Intel to go forth and prosper. So we had uh, SMPs, the social media practitioners, um, you know, we communicated with them regularly. So once you completed this course, um, you were part of this, this deep bench. We used to call it a deep bench that, you know, we had experts in marketing. We had experts in engineering. We had experts, you know, in our labs who now had license to go and, and communicate, not only on our owned properties, but, but places like Reddit. Right. And, and other places where the community uh, and, and audiences were already forming. So where's the, what's the genius there? I'm, I'm hearing a bit. Uh, one of it is that, again, guidelines. Yeah. And then you kind of asked people to step up and, and become an SMP. Correct. Right? Meaning engage with us, learn the rules, and right. then we will cut you loose. Yeah. And there's a sort of a quid pro quo of I'll yeah. give you authority if you give us a little trust or yeah. the other way around. Correct. Right? Yeah, that's right. And, and I think it was... Um, you know, it kind of harkens back, and I and I, I don't want, I don't mean to get too nostalgic here, but there was an old kind of Andy Grove saying that I've always uh, uh, really taken to heart, and it was simply that if something compute if something advances computing, it's strategic. Mm. It's strategic to Intel. So if it increases the MIPS right. and the cycles that that. Um, a computer or a server or or really any sort of computing device uses it's therefore strategic to intel and i and i think that this was the same kind of philosophy going in yeah. that if if we advance computing and the usage of it right um it's therefore strategic to intel but and, how and interesting that even what andy grove said is kind of meta meaning yeah. He created a guideline that you followed to create guidelines, yeah. which then in turn created content. You know what yeah. I mean? And so that's that also points to kind of a cool sense of leadership, right? In an organization. Yeah, yeah, and I, I think that was the other reason why we were so willing to publish these externally, mm-hmm. um, because you know at the time and still, Intel's a, an ingredient brand. 
with so many partners that we were helping our partners, we were helping the industry right. move forward um, in this new phase of you know social computing. Mm -hmm. And at the time, I don't think we we saw it like right. that. Right. But but again, um, you know, moving the industry, moving computing forward was really the ultimate kind of strategic reason why we did it. And I think again, when when we went to the board and said, "Hey, we've got these guidelines, et cetera, et cetera." Again, I, I don't think the board necessarily knew. I think they were glad that we were kind of covering our our, our asses, if you will. Mm -hmm. But it, you know, again, looking strategically out. This was promoting social computing, which was, of course, strategic to us. Right. And just, just for our listeners out there who may not be familiar, you mentioned it being a component brand or an ingredient, In, ingredient, ingredient brand, brand. Right. right? So give our listeners just a quick idea of kind of what that means when you're marketing, because that, that was a new concept when I first started working for Intel, too. Sure. Well, I think, you know, we have direct marketing and then we have partner marketing, and we have been incredibly successful with our partner marketing and direct marketing, but partner marketing in particular where we will help our partners market their products to the end user. Mm -hmm. um, that's where you see like Intel Inside and, and all those programs that, that are really helping the partners right. um, well, because with kind of a I... trust seal of, of Intel and the, you know, the, the expertise and the intelligence that, that uh, that Intel actually brings to those to those platforms. Well, because by de definition, Intel doesn't have a product on the shelf on its own necessarily. Yeah, yeah, not not really. So um, the idea was to if Intel is in a Dell, we need to help Dell sell their correct, computers. Correct. Right? So yeah, because I think for some people that's a, that's a concept that not everyone has to deal with. No, no, and it's quite challenging too because a lot of people will be like, well, why is Intel doing social media? And again, it was really to help our partners. Um, and and also move the industry uh, towards these new these new uh, kind of paradigms of computing. Right. So you're just you're trying to assist. It's an assist. Yeah. 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 Correct. Okay. So you know. So we hovered a bit on this. You know, the the early kind of social, but social is a harbinger of kind of what's happening next, right? Correct. Uh, and you've been talking a lot about content. Right. So and you said something interesting the other day. You, you were talking about um, thinking about content in a longer in a longer time frame. Yeah, and I, and I think it became obvious after just a few years, really, maybe just a year, of that content is really the currency of the modern web. Mm -hmm. And it's what we consume, it's what we share, it's what we produce. And, you know, it can be a simple tweet or it can be something much greater. Um, but it's really... It's really how computing has has evolved. Um, you know, I, I I likened it to um, you know, and uh, I guess what we were talking about the other day was more along the lines of of storytelling and content itself is truly ancient, and what's changed are the media mm -hmm. uh, and the touch points on on how we how we consume that. That content. So there's there's a lot of I, I think um, kind of kind of historical and even truly ancient patterns that that are just natural when it comes to storytelling and, and how humans consume those stories. Um, so what are, what are some of the patterns you're seeing? Well, the patterns are are like the truly ancient archetypes okay. that 
that um, you know have evolved with us as a species. You know, and it's things like overcoming the monster. It's it's even Joseph Campbell's kind of you know the hero's hero's journey. It's mm-hmm. the quest. Mm-hmm. It's voyage and return. It's things like rags to riches. It's like classic classic patterns of storytelling. So and and we've. I have, a, I have a friend here in town who, who almost calls those archetypes, it, it's kind of the firmware of our species. Mm, okay. And we've, we've evolved with those patterns. We know how those patterns come about. We, we, we are, we're, we're, we're naturally attuned to those patterns. And, you know, not to get too overly academic here, but those are universal patterns. Right. Mm-hmm. So if you are explaining a very difficult or a complex product, let's say, right, there are truly ancient patterns that you can take advantage of. Okay. Um, you know, it's cross-cultural, it's universal kind of ways that we expect kind of that chapter one, chapter two, chapter three way of going about. So one of the things that I've seen is that brands have been scrambling for content, right? And they've taken this kind of old model of marketing where it's, hey, let's have a message. Let's send that message out. And that's fine. And they're, they're, that has its place. But what's chapter two? Right. You know, what's chapter one, chapter two, chapter three? And, and taking some of those classic patterns. And you'll see a lot of brands. You know, one of my, one of my favorite examples that I, that I teach about actually is, um, you know, we look at those classic archetypes of let's say something, you know, like voyage and return, which is, you know, Homerian really. Um, but you look at like what Wyden and Kennedy did with Chrysler mm-hmm. and imported from Detroit. Right. That's, that's actually a classic pattern of voyage and return in that they've been to hell and back. Mm-hmm. Detroit has been to hell and back. And guess what? It's back. Right. Detroit's back. And that's the story that they're essentially, you know, basing that on. So are they, um, they're understanding the story types, the archetypes, and maybe deconstructing them to use them as structure. Correct. Have you yeah. seen the great video of Kurt Vonnegut describing story arc? No. Uh, we'll put that up uh, on okay. YouTube, but there's a terrific YouTube of, it's a very old, grainy, like VHS of Kurt even, Vonnegut even giving a talk. Yeah. And he, he talks about the timeline, and he talks about the kind of the tone or the happiness in the story. And he talks about every Disney story follows a sign mm. curve from from happy to great fall to back to redemption. Yeah. You know, and then she, he plots Cinderella across the story and he's so fun because he's really dismissive with the chalk and he kind of walks off but yeah it, yeah at, you know there's an example that um, so I teach advanced media at Portland State and I had my students I turned my students into these I call them marketing labs mm-hmm. and we work on uh, brands and organizations and we are we kind of do pro bono work and last semester our client was uh, Mercy Corps so a, a nonprofit here in Portland um very, very good at, at helping kind of crisis areas around the world, whether it's Darfur or the, you know, the hurricane they just had in, uh, in uh, Haiti. Um, but if you look at their content, it's very newsy. It's very newsy and there's, there's a lot of dispatches and they do a great job of, of content. And they might have a story on how they delivered these, you know, lights to a school in, in Darfur so students can study. And that's great. That's great. But to me, that's chapter 10. Right. You know, that's the end of the story. The success. The, the win. success. The win is, is, the, is the end of the story. So what my, my students put together was, 
what if you tell the whole story? And if you look at what Mercy Corps is actually really good at is their supply chain. They're excellent at actually getting those lights to these areas where people will actually need them. And there's this whole kind of sequential story of how did you actually get those lights there? You know, was there a flood in Turkey? Was, did you have problems at customs? And so they plotted out very similar to the quest or the hero's journey of a, an entire kind of content strategy of the ups and the downs to get those lights there. And, and taking this approach of the sequential approach to content and every time they would produce a chapter, guess what? That's another time that you can participate. That's another time. Every time the brand is opening their mouth, it's, a, it's another time to donate. It's another time to participate. It's another time to volunteer. And they're really showing the full story rather than just that chapter 10 dispatch. Right. Which, again, is a great piece of content. But that's the... That's the climax. That's the payoff. Yeah, that's sure. the payoff. And, well, so, and, and it's also yeah. a way of expressing what Mercy Corps' unique value add might be. Correct. Because there might be a human being that's at a border crossing somewhere and who has to sit there in the cold and just wonder what's going to happen for four hours. But then they're able to negotiate or find their way through. Yeah. And that's what Mercy Corps does, yeah. right? Yeah. They, they cut the red tape and they, they get the stuff there. Get it done. Yeah. To where it's needed, and so the core and story that's is not great, and that's their that's their brand, that's that's their passion, and mm-hmm. and it's not easy too. And I think that's again kind of ingrained in us as as humans is that we we do want to see that struggle, mm-hmm. and that's the way to connect emotionally. And and you know for so for so many years, I would see marketers start at chapter five, right. And and you know yes you can you can tell tell the earlier uh, chapters but oftentimes your users aren't on chapter five mm-hmm. you know so you might be but your audience and your users might not be on chapter five and and it's it's that idea of if you do have the sequential kind of pattern to your to your content and to your message those users can go back to chapter one. Or with marketing technology now, you can make sure that they go back to chapter one. Mm-hmm. Or you know that they've and, seen and it. And target them based sure. on, right, right, what they've already seen. Do you ever kind of integrate a customer journey or, or customer orientation to this sort of thing? All the time. Okay. All the time. And I, and I think that that's where all of our jobs are heading um, as marketers is, is really understanding where that user is mm-hmm. in their journey and then tying content to that journey. Right. Um, and again, I, I, I think, um, I, I haven't seen anybody really do it well, but I think over the next several years, it's it's tying content strategy to marketing technology. The journey's in there as well, but it's it's taking that great storytelling that we've, we've had for the last 40,000 years Tying that with media sophistication and and with marketing technology. I actually just wrote an article on that of, of how, you know, you could build a marketing lab off of great storytelling, media sophistication, and then marketing technology. And having those three components that would really take advantage of, of all of the, uh, the advances that we have now as marketers. We should do that. Let's do that. Let's do that. You want to do that? Yeah, we'll make one. Okay. Stay tuned, people. So what do you, let's do a quick. You have a couple minutes left. I got a couple minutes. What yeah. are you loving? What What are you seeing out there that you love? 
Uh, I, I, I'm geeking out about this marketing technology that's, that's sprung up after the last couple of years that I don't truly understand myself because I've been focused on this, this great storytelling. I've been focused on social. Um, I've been enamored with, you know, rediscovering some of these ancient patterns Mm-hmm. Uh, in storytelling and then applying that to marketing technology I think is is going to be a really powerful combination. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's what I've been geeking out about. Um, so ancient patterns. Read the classics maybe, huh? Well, I, I think just get into Jung. <laughs> All right. Some get Jungian, into Jung, yeah, some uh-huh. Jungian stuff. Okay. Um, you know, not only those patterns, but also the, the character archetypes yes. as well. Okay. Um, that's pretty interesting stuff. I would think some, a bunch of fairy tales would be a quick way to understand. Yeah. You know, like yeah. the big bad wolf and the journeys and... Well, and there's a reason why those stories are still here. Right. Right. You know, there, there's, there's a reason why we know those stories because they are classic and that as humans, we, we connect with those stories. Those are patterns that work. Mm-hmm. And and don't discount them. I mean, that's part of my class is actually looking at these these ancient patterns, and then looking at the brands today that are that are using them. Like one one is uh, the classic pattern of rebirth. Okay. And you look at like what Prudential does. Okay. So Prudential uses rebirth in that they they view retirement as a rebirth. Okay. Right. You know, you look at like even something like Corona. And find your beach. Right. You know, that could be Voyage and Return. That could be the quest. Mm-hmm. Um, so Links there's all to, sorts of things. And yeah. what I haven't figured out is if the brands are actually doing that on their own or they're just stumbling into these classic archetypes. And those are the campaigns that we actually pay attention to. Right. Because because they follow these classic patterns. So that's that's the stuff that I geek out about. Well, that sounds like some really great comment fodder. So, uh, hey, get back to us, guys, with some cool things that you see out there. We're, we're seeing some good uh, good archetypes. And, and maybe, you know, Hansel and Gretel and content strategy. It's a blog post. <laughs> Brian Rhodes, thanks for visiting with hey, us. Hey, thanks, Tom. All right, time to hit the showers. This has been the Metastential Podcast, supported by Connective DX. Don't make us do all the work. Hit us up, podcast at metastential.com. Or on Twitter, at metastential. I might even reply, because I'm on Twitter all day long. I am not, usually. <laughs>